Welcome everybody to the Diecast Movie Podcast. For this episode, we have a special interview brought to you by my dad. Take it away, Dad. Hello, everybody. Just before we start the episode with Jeremy Ambler, just want to remind everybody that Jeremy, along with other people I've been interviewing recently, Jennifer Savage, and the next episode, Laura Cayouette, are all going to be at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention, September 15th through the 17th in Hunt Valley, Maryland. And I'll be there myself all three days. I'm hoping to see everybody there. And I'm hoping everybody has a good time. Just look it up at midatlanticnostalgiaconvention.com. And there's a link in the show notes on the Facebook page that you can click on to find out who all is going to be there. Or you can go back to the episode that Martin Grams and I talked about the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention besides 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Otherwise, let's move into the episode where you get to talk to Jeremy, and I hope you get to learn a lot more about this wonderful young man. Thank you. Bye. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. I'm Steve, and this time I'm joined by actor, director, Jeremy Ambler. A lot of you might remember him as The Walking Dead when he was one of the zombies. He was also in different movies like Harold and Kumar, Escape from Guatemala Bay, Evan, Evan Almighty, he was also in a lot of Dean Cain movies, um, Dispatched, uh, Break Every Chain, and he's also in The Haunting of Hill House, the miniseries that came out. Lots and lots of other credits. Um, how are you doing today, Jeremy? Hey, I'm hanging in there. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm glad you're here. And for listeners wondering, um, they're going to find out more about you during the interview, but they want to meet and see you. You're going to be at two conventions that I frequent. Very much one of them that's coming up in September, September 15th through the 17th, the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention, and the other one in October, the Monster Bash. You excited about that? Because we're talking, it's just going to be a couple of weeks, a few weeks away when you're going to be back at Mid-Atlantic, back in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Right, yeah. It'll be great to see everybody again, and, and uh, of course you and all my other friends there that, you know, that come every year, but... Uh, it's always one of my, you know, Martin and Michelle put on a great show and it's, it's actually one of my all time, uh, favorite conventions to attend. So that's why, you know, I'm there every year and they bring in a lot of, a lot of great guests. Oh, and they got a lot of great guests this year for listeners wondering more about the guest list. Um, just a couple episodes ago, a few episodes ago, Martin and I went over a preview of what's coming, who is coming this year on the 2022 the convention and that kind of stuff but um, just to name a couple just name a couple mash we got loretta swit and jamie farr we got melissa gilbert we got robert fuller and we got flash sam j jones and that's just naming four of i don't know like what 15 people that are going to be there right but the main thing is you're going to be there shambling around the eyes <laughs> <laughs> i'll definitely be there but one of the things I wanted to ask you, that what led you to go into acting? You know, what, what was your drive? Was it something when I was a child, a movie, or whatever? Or just, what led you to you go know, down this a, path? You know, as a kid, I was always a big fan of the, the Universal Monster films. You know, your Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, all those type of movies. Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr., stuff like that. And Three Stooges and Lucy and all those different things. And... Um, you know, and of course, with the, the monster movies and stuff, um, you know, just the makeup, being fascinated with the the makeup and the makeup process and just everything. And I, you know, and I always wanted to, 
always wanted to be a monster or a zombie or whatever. I know that my very first zombie film I ever watched was Night, the original Night, George Romero and I, The Living Dead. And even though it was black and white, it scared me half to death. Like I would, I think I only watched it like once or twice. And I'm like, no, I ain't watching this again. But over the years, it's become a big favorite of mine. And, you know, and I've seen it many times now. But uh, as a kid, it is, it's pretty, pretty creepy for its, um, for its time. You know, um, it's a lot different than the Universal movies. You know, and of course, I uh, grew up watching the, the Abbott and Costello movies as well, you know, the mon- with where they meet the monsters and all that different stuff, too. So, um, but yeah, that, that stuff was kind of my inspiration for wanting to become an actor and definitely for wanting to become a, a monster or a zombie or, you know, those type of characters. So you probably, so you grew up watching a lot of classic monsters. And I guess one of your influences you didn't mention was probably Lon Chaney Sr., because you know, doing all the makeup and then changing his appearance and performances. Right. Yeah. I watched, yeah. Uh, his stuff too. You know, the fan of the opera, the hunchback of Notre Dame and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So when you were growing up, did you try different things like borrowing? Um, like, uh, did you buy like different makeup things or did you borrow from your mom's stuff or whatever? I mean, I don't, I don't know what you did growing up. Did you try? <laughs> Not really, but I was always into Halloween, so I always would dress up, you know, always had some kind of costume every Halloween, so I always, and even now today, you know, Halloween is always still and always will be one of my all-time favorite holidays. Oh, it's one of mine, too, and I remember um, growing up, one of my cousins and I, her and I used to always, um, when we got together, trying to do different monster things. We'd take baby powder to get ourselves all you know, looking white and we put ketchup on ourselves and we'd go around the house and my mom would, yeah, you're getting powder everywhere. You're making a mess, you know, you know as, as parents will have to do, but we, we were monsters at the time. So we didn't really listen right. to her. Of course. <laughs> so it's always fun getting to walk around and do that. So you got the acting bug or the, or the interest from watching those classic movies like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and, all the other ones in Universal and all the way up to Night of the Living Dead, which was like a game changer type movie in the genre. Right. So when you got the, what, what led you to getting into the acting itself? Was it um, high school? Did you start doing some things there? Was it in college or was it, was it community theater? Well, you know, um, as far as the whole acting thing, how I got into it, you know, I really never had any training or anything. So, um, you know, I did a couple of school plays and stuff like that, but not really, you know, I guess you can't say full on training. So basically I kind of learned myself. I, you know, I started off in the Dukes of Hazard movie as a spectator at the race cheering the General Lee on, you know, the Johnny Knoxville, Burt Reynolds, Jessica Simpson movie. And, and uh, you know, was up in the stands and you can see me with a big cowboy hat on, you know, cheering the General Lee on in a few shots. And then I'm down there behind the reporter and I run behind him, uh, past him and all kinds of stuff, carrying a big old uh, race, race sign, different things. Um, but I started off doing that and then kind of got worked my way up to becoming SAG eligible and stuff and getting more and more featured stuff. And then breaking into some auditions eventually. And just kind of learning how the audition process goes, you know, um, what they want you to audition for, what they tell you to do in front of the camera. And then, of course, they show it to the, the directors and producers and they go from there. So I've, 
been very fortunate to have auditions like that, a few here and there. And where I've actually, most of the time when I've had auditions, in-person auditions, normally I get the part. Because they're the, the casting people, casting directors and stuff, they pretty much go through a, a whole uh, bunch of stuff with you so you can do your best at the audition. Yeah, I think one of your advantages is... I was say, one of your big advantages is, is your distinct look. You have that, like like Peter Cushing, you have that gaunt look, and I think that fits a lot of the different roles you've been given because your physicality is already there. And right. you're able to say, oh, he looks, if we did this with the makeup or that in a certain way, he'd be perfect for that role. Yes, I get that a lot. I know that uh, Greg Nicotero has told me that. A lot of casting people have told me that. Other fellow actors have told me that and actresses so yes it's it's all about you know it's all about the look and you know a lot of people say well you're so skinny too so that's another reason too well yeah exactly i mean it's it's um some some people have made careers all their lives just because they have that that body that look and they're able to go and, and get work all the way through and it, i think that's something most actors look for is that you, you want to be a working actor you want constant work and in a sense, yes, your body typecast you for certain roles. Right. It's a paycheck, which adds up after a while, and then you get more and more credits, and people, you know, you develop those relationships. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but you don't, you don't just do monsters or zombies. You've actually been in some other things. Like you were in um, the miniseries John Adams, where you got to play a red coat. Yeah. I actually, that's how I became Screen Actors Guild eligible. And I worked eight days on that with Paul Giamatti and Richie Coster and Danny Houston. And, um, you know, that was, uh, that was a very interesting process because originally when I had sent in for it, I had sent in and they just, they actually just picked me to be a featured townsperson. So I went in and got the wardrobe fit and the, and the wig and all that stuff. And when I was coming out of the of the wardrobe office, casting office there that they had built, you know, on uh, on the sound soundstage set in this building, it was in Mechanicsville, Virginia. And there's this guy that went walked right by me, and it was the director Tom Hooper. And he turned around, and I was getting ready to leave, and he said. Uh, said, excuse me, sir, what's your name? And I told him, I said, Jeremy Ambler. And he said, thank you. That's all he said. And my mom was with me at the time, and I looked at her, and I said, something big's going to come out of this. I have a feeling. So about two or three days later, uh, casting called me and said that uh, Director Tom Hooper wants you to be one of the main red coats in the Boston Massacre. And you're going to be highly featured and you'll be working along with all the actors main actors and all of this stuff and i'm like wow this is really cool you know and it was an eight-day work and it gave me enough vouchers to where i could become sag eligible so um it was very very cool very very awesome working with danny houston and richie coster uh, of course danny houston is uh john houston's uh son um angelica houston's brother and then, um, and then, of course, Richie Coster has, uh, oddly enough, he went on to, he was actually in uh, a season of Walking Dead. He was the joke, one of the Joker's henchmen in The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger. 
so he's actually went on to do do a lot of cool stuff too. I mean, he's even where he worked with Jackie Chan even before John Adams. So yeah, I mean, he's played some some pretty pretty cool villains and stuff. But he was our Captain Preston uh, in John Adams, and then of course, not to mention you know uh, Paul Giamatti. Me being a big fan of Paul's, uh, there's a scene in the show where uh, he touches me on my on the red coast on my coast. And that originally was not in the script. So uh, he asked Tom Hooper, uh, because Paul knew that I was a big fan of his. So he's like, can I, can I just kind of do this, ad-lib a little bit? And they liked it, and they actually kept it in. So there was one shot where he did some chopping on my knees. He said something about something about chopping of the knees. And then he patted me on the red coat. And the red coat shot is what, what actually made it in along with all the original stuff that they, that they had shot with all of us. But yeah, it was, uh, eight days of work It's about 16 hour days. It would go from, uh, afternoon all up to the middle of the night sometimes or the next morning. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, those, those sets that they, those soundstage, especially like the courtroom soundstage, the, um, and then of course you had the, Boston Master, the outside soundstage, stuff like that. Those were, it was just like a different world when you stepped into them. It was very, very cool. And it was great, and it was great working with everybody, too. I mean, they are, uh, I mean, a lot of, I mean, they were great. They were fun to work with. And And even though we were all acting, you know, it was fun to watch them act. I know that uh, when we did the Boston Master scene, uh, you know, we're out there, we're raising our guns to everybody. Our, um, and Danny Houston as Sam Adams, you know, he's out there shouting at us and it was made, it made it very intense. I mean, we were, we were all kind of like shaking inside because it was that intense, but it, it helped all of us to really get more into the part too. The more somebody's at you, you know, and they're into the part, then it helps you out as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a lot of fun, great, great people to work with, and I uh, was very blessed that Tom Hooper happened to spot me. I was at the right place at the right time, pretty much, for him to actually pick me out and, and want me to do that. So, yeah, my, my red coat was, character was William Weems, and, you know, all those guys were real-life real life people. And it was also pretty cool that Paul Giamatti, you know, knowing that you were a fan of his wanted to add extra stuff to it because he could have just been like, ah, we're just going to stay to the script. We're going to do this and that, but he decided to make it, even if it wasn't going to make to the film, which some of it did, he added that extra little bit for you, which is shows you how yeah. much he cares about his other actors. Cause I think sometimes people worry about actors. Like they only care about themselves, especially the ones that get to the bigger levels of stardom. And, and they, and they, and they don't like, Oh, you're, you're just here to support me. But no, if everybody does their job, well, it makes the whole project better. Right. Yeah. It's really cool. It was really, really cool. It was just, it was a fun experience, even though I had been in other movies and stuff before then, but that's really when it, it kind of start really getting to the bigger point. Once I, once I, once I worked on John Adams, because I mean, John Adams was way before Walking Dead even. So, so yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was just wild. And, you know, and another thing is the scenes in the courtroom, 
that was multiple days of filming. And all the other people that were townspeople behind us, you know, they were all, they really all got into it. Like we really thought we were going to get lynched by them because I mean, they would, they would be trying to push us in, up into the, the, like the, the bars there in front where we were standing and stuff. And they, they really, really got into it. They were, they were great too. I mean, we, we were very impressed with just the whole cast and crew of people. Just wow. Just fantastic. And, you know, and, and the thing about John Adams is, you know, it won all those different awards and stuff too. So that was, that was fantastic too. I was very glad that it won stuff. I'm just happy the director spotted you and decided to like, Oh, Let's change him from a townsperson to a red coat, and uh, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean Tom Hooper. I would love I, all the directors that I've ever worked with. I would love to work with again because I'm sure that they would love to have me on an, on another project and a different character and stuff. But I actually did the townsperson part too. Um, there's actually me in the the townsperson outfit because they had already fitted me for that. So uh, you know, they said, "Well, you want to do this too? You know, it's more pay." So I did that too, and you can actually spot me in the town in the town hall scene too in that first episode if you look really good so yeah it's it's pretty wild so you're not only a red coat but in a sense you're a turncoat because you were a townsperson and you joined the other side <laughs> right with a different wig and all that but that's the only that's one of the first things ever i think that's actually one of the very first movies i have not wore wigs very much in anything that i've ever done it's mostly been my own hair and it's either dirtied up or they flick it back or whatever. But that was a process because I mean they'd have to they'd have to uh, I, you know they'd have to fix your wigs and all that stuff each day. So it was uh, you know they put it on you and then they'd be curling it up or whatever. And it it's a heck of a process. It was wild. Now I mentioned earlier you're not only just an actor but you also did some directing um, so far. And one of them is a short, The Shower Killer. Yes, um, that was way early in, yeah, when I was kind of experimenting with short films. But basically what that is, is it's, um, it's where a lady checks into a hotel. It's kind of a homage to Psycho, but uh, it's where she takes, checks into a hotel and um, she sees this weird looking person um, kind of sitting on the side of her door and she kind of throws him some money. But she don't realize that he's got a mask on. And he ends up breaking into her room and kills her. And uh, it's actually a pretty wild little short film, but it was a lot of fun. We kind of did it incognito. We just, some just random uh, junky roach motel. We actually, there's a shot, and it's so crazy. There's a shot in one of the scenes where I'm hiding in the closet. And there's an actual roach on the wall. That's how crazy, and I and I made sure that we kept that shot in there just to show you how nasty that motel was. But it's just a and and where we shot it, and I won't mention, but it's a place in Virginia, and there have been shootings there, there have been murders there since. There's just been a lot of stuff that I would not go back there to do anything, but because I mean, even people live in that motel, not so much back then as it was now. But yeah, it's it's typical Bates Motel. Yeah, it's a little, it's one of those places that we always call it's a sketchy motel. You don't want to go yeah. there. It's 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 sketchy. <laughs> right. Absolutely. 
you're, you're in a couple of movies that I wanted to bring up, uh, Psycho, Psychopath and The Crazies. Yeah. Now, Psychopath was an independent horror film, which uh, I get my head smashed. I'm actually taking a whiz out behind a building, and the killer comes up for me and drops me on the ground and takes a big cinder block to my head. And the way they edited that was amazing because uh, it really looks like my head is completely smashed. And I actually have the dummy that they used. So I always warn people when they come in my room that that's not really a real dead body there because it's, it's made out of foam. I'm not for sure about the teeth because the guy that directed the film, he's a police officer, and he really didn't tell me much about the teeth, so it's hard to tell. It could have came out of a lab or it's hard to tell. Not that, I mean, I really don't know the story behind the teeth in, the, in, in that dummy, but, <laughs> but yeah, they, they dressed him up and uh, they basically put the same, the, the, I have overalls on and they basically put the overalls on the dummy to get that shot. So it's a mixture of me and with the, with the dummy once it smashes the face and stuff, but it's pretty, if you haven't seen it, uh, the clip, this clip is actually on YouTube and it's, it's pretty gnarly. It really is. It's very cringeworthy. But funny, because, you know, I'm taking a whiz and I turn around and after I'm done and it's this big old dude and I'm in a mask. It's wild. It's different film. Now, The Crazies, you know, of course, is the remake of the George Romero movie from the 70s. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to go out to California for the premiere of that. But I was one of the Army soldiers in the ha- in the gas mask outfit not the hazmat outfit but the gas mask and stuff and i'm in the quarantine scene where we're uh, quarantining everybody on and on the cattle trucks and stuff and i i did work with uh there's a close-up of me in the gas mask motion people to come through and pushing rod mitchell and timothy oliphant's characters through that quarantine and then there's another shot of me at a guard when they come off the bus one of the guards there as well but that was a lot of fun, but the mask, let me tell you, um, they would fog up a lot because they were using water. You know, they had water coming down and they had overhead airplane and different things. They were helicopters and stuff that, that, that they were using for like overhead shots as well to film. And it was very, it was very different. You know, of course, when you compare this one with the original crazies, a lot of people like the remake better than the original film because it's more of a, I don't know. It's, got, it's more, it's different you know, per se. I mean, you know, in the seventies when George Romero did it, you know, he did what he could with it, but with the more special effects and makeups and different things now, you know, you could tell a big difference with that film, but uh, all those guys were great to work with. It was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. It was different than some of the ones per se that I've, that, that I've worked on, but it still, nonetheless, it was, it was still fun. I can imagine with the gas mask on and everything fogging up. You're like, who's coming out? Well, it's all, all I see is shapes, if you're lucky to see that. <laughs> well, they made sure that we cleaned the eyes out. And if we didn't clean the eyes, they would get their hand up in there and they would clean it out for us. And I had a couple of that times too. So both. I mean, you had either either one. Uh, if you didn't do it, they would do it for sure. They They didn't play around when it came to the fogging of the of the eyeballs and the, in the masks. Which is good for you as an actor because your eyes are one of the main things to get across a lot of 
different emotion and feelings. And if, they, if your eyes aren't being seen, then you're, then you're with your body language. But when you have your eyes and your body language, you're able to get you're much more effective. Right. Yeah. And I remember when they when they casted me for that. It was so funny because when they casted me, they got down the point to the part, point where there was no there wasn't no correct sizes for me. Pants. They gave me like extra extra large pants. And everybody around me was like laughing because I'm so thin. So here I have, I've got all this stuff that's baggy on me and I'm trying to keep all this stuff up. So I had to pin that to my original pants over my original jeans because those things are way too big. The, all the equipment stuff, the fake guns and all that stuff and, and everything, everything that I had on, it weighed a ton. I mean, I was like bogged down. Uh, I mean, there was some nights I was just over it after a certain point of filming. I'm like, I couldn't wait to get that stuff off. So, yeah, it's uh, definitely an adventure in itself. So you're like a, a, you probably look like a boy playing dress up in his dad's clothes. Pretty much. A lot of people, when they look at the picture of me and from the crazies, they're like, is that you? I'm like, yeah, but I really don't look bad in them. I mean, that's the funny thing about when you see the pictures, it looks pretty legit, you know? So crazy, crazy stuff, though. Probably looks like you bulked up. It's like, oh, he got ripped for this. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Well, that's good. And that led you into The Walking Dead, where you were in a couple episodes, and you got to play a zombie. What was it like for you? Because, I mean, you said earlier on, one of your things was you wanted to be a like a, like, when you watched monster movies growing up, you wanted to be, like, you know, in the makeup, in the monster. And here you are being a zombie in a hit TV show you know, about zombies everywhere and that kind of stuff. What was, how, how does that go about, you know, that whole process? Well, basically what happened was, you know, I, I had worked on, well, actually going back to the crazies, I had worked on that and the same casting company in Atlanta. Um, you know, they were, I heard that they were casting for this TV show called walking dead. Well, I had no clue what walking dead was. Other than it was a comic book and it was a zombie. Well, First season came around, they wanted me to do zombie school. They wanted me to, you know, do zombie school for season one. Well, at the time, I was working on something else, and it was only six episodes anyways, and they wanted uh, people to come for three weeks and do zombie school. Well, I'm thinking, you know, here I live in West Virginia. I, this is That's a lot, you know. That's a three-week thing. I'm going to have to be in a hotel for three weeks. So I was going to do it, but... I worked on, was working on something else. So it got to the point where if you didn't go to zombie school, then you just didn't do it. So season two came around. I was, I got casted as a zoo, zoo protester in the three stooges movie. So I worked on that. And then the next day I went to zombie school, which zombie school at that time was they would, they would uh, put everybody into groups of so many people and have you come in for three hours and, and go over stuff with Greg Nicotero. And you would show him how you would do your walk. And they would he would rate you on a scale from 1 to 10. And they would show you like zombie clips from like Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, stuff like that. And then you would do your own interpretation of how you would walk and act as a zombie. Okay. So um, basically it went from there. And the rest is TV history. You know, I was on... Um, Season two, episode one, called What Lies Ahead. I was the co-leader of the Highway Walkers, you know, when everybody's hiding underneath the cars right before Sophia goes missing. And that walker in particular 
uh, I did a photo shoot. Greg Nicotero wanted me to do a photo shoot. So after the after the after all the scenes was filmed, because I was getting I was on the bus getting ready to go back, and he said, "No, I want you to." He said, "You're not done yet. We're going to do a photo shoot with you." So I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool. You know, this is going to be awesome." And you never really know what they're going to use, you know, those photos for. Well, come to find out, you know, I've been on many many T-shirts. Trading cards, board games, posters, belts, belt buckles, uh, you name it, I've been on it, other than having my own figurine. Uh, everything else, I've, I've been on books, I've been on, like, everything. Any, I, I mean, even Slim Jim bags. You know, that's the craziest thing. I mean, somebody asked me at a convention, I don't remember who it was, and I think it was at Monster Bash, actually, the, the last one we had. Um I think somebody asked me what was the craziest thing I'd ever been on. And it was the, and that's what I told him. It was this bag of Slim Jims when Walking Dead teamed up with Slim Jim to do the promotion, you know, at that time for Walking Dead and for their product. So, yeah. So I've been very, very, as I said, I've been very, very, very fortunate that they've used me on a lot of the merchandise. I was one of the, I consider one of the lucky ones of, of season two, I think. And then I was also on uh, episode 13, the finale, when Herschel, you know, out there on Herschel's farm where the barn is on fire and stuff. Um, you know, you can see me get shot in the head by Jimmy before he gets eaten in the RV, but in the nose shots of me out in the field and stuff, which you really can't really tell which one I'm, I am. But, uh, you know, like I say, I worked with all the original cast and everybody, uh, Andrew, uh, Scott Wilson, uh, all those people, all, you know, Stephen Young and, and all of them, they, they all were Melissa McBride. Every one of them were fantastic to work with, you know, and, um, you know, I've became good friends with a lot of them. Over the years, you know, we see each other at some conventions and stuff like Melissa McBride and Irony Singleton that played T Dog and Madison Lentz that played Sophia and so you just you just never know, you know. But uh, Walking Dead has definitely been a it's definitely been a blessing for me. It's opened up a lot of doors, even though I've been in stuff before. But it's it definitely opened up more doors for me. I think in the acting world, makeup world, especially. Too. So, um, you know, just to play characters in makeup. So, what was it like in the process of getting zombified, you know, in makeup? How long of a process was it for you? Two and a half hours. It was two and a half hours. And, you know, I actually, uh, the makeup, you know, KMB effects, Greg Nicotero's team. And Gina is the one that did my makeup for the Highway Walker stuff, the stuff that you see my photos and stuff on for like, you know, promotions and posters and all that different cool stuff that you can get. But Gino, a lot of people don't know, but Gino had did, and I didn't know this when he made me up till after the fact, probably a couple of years after the fact that he did, that he made me up. But he did Bill Mosley Chop Tops makeup in, in the Texas Chainsaw Master 2. He also did some of Robert England's Freddy Krueger makeup for the Freddy's Nightmares TV series that was on, on Fox at one time. So uh, he's did a lot of those famous uh, monster uh, creepy character makeups that, uh, and I didn't realize that because that would have been great conversation when he was making me up. I would have loved to hear, hear heard the stories and stuff. But hopefully we'll do a convention together at some point, and I'll 
you know, I'll say, you don't remember making me up, you know, but great guy, great, very, very nice guy to work with. And, and just to see his work, I mean, in, in my makeup, you can tell that it's somebody that's been making people up in the business for many years. I was say two and a half hours. I mean, that's one of those things I know not everybody can do. Not everybody can just stay still long enough or, because, you know, you're repeating the process for different days if they, if they need you for multiple days. Right. And so it, 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 it must make it interesting. It is. It is. Uh, you know, that day was only a one day shoot. We got everything done for one day. So, but the other day was a two day process, two day makeup process. And yeah, when they have to remake you up, it's, you know, and I had another makeup artist on that one. I, I'm not really, I can't remember who did my makeup on, on that episode, but, uh, but yeah. So yeah, it's all different. Makeups are all different, but the, really the only thing you really see is the side of my face in one shot and then the back of my, back of my head and in, in the other shot in the, in the finale episode of season two, but not a full makeup, full one shot. Like you've seen, you know, the, of course the big highlight it with, um, with the, uh, the opener. So, yeah. And how'd you come up with your zombie walk, your zombie gate, so to speak? <laughs> well, the zombie walk, you know, I just kind of learned from night of living dead, you know, and then you kind of take your own process, uh, on all that. But, uh, that's kind of how I just came up with it. But I've actually, I think I've actually improved my zombie walk since Walking Dead. Actually, you know, I do these uh, zombie walks every year. And we're going to have a, the zombie walk up in Bridgeport, West Virginia again this year in October. If everything works out all right. And if everything works as, as the way we're expecting it to work out, we're also bringing in, uh, of course, our lovely friend Beverly Washburn uh, as well. So she's going to be joining me for, for that. And we are also planning on, hopefully, if everything works out, well, the local theater, we may be screening Old Yeller and the uh, movie that she actually filmed in the area. She actually filmed a movie with Martin Sheen called When the Line Goes Through. And that uh, was all filmed um, in that area. It was in West Union, West Virginia, which is on the other side of Bridgeport and Clarksburg, West Virginia. So we may actually be doing a having a signing and a Q&A with her for those two films. And then, of course, I'll be there to sign as well. And so we're, we're kind of making it a whole uh, festival, zombie mix, and then including her as well if everything works out. That's, that's the plans right now. So we're just waiting to get back converse, com, confirmation pretty much. Um, but I have a friend that, you know, and a lot of the stuff that he puts on, like the zombie walks and stuff, all that stuff goes uh, proceeds that he makes off of it and stuff that actually goes to the West Virginia uh, Children's Hospital, the WVU up in Morgantown, West Virginia. So it's all for a good cause, actually. Which is great because, I mean, we talked about earlier, you're going to be at Mid-Atlantic, and we know all the money that Martin makes goes right to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. You know, so everything they make, they have an auction, and all the proceeds they make go to that. So it's always nice when you see conventions that once they cover their cost, the money goes to charity, and like I said, Martin, I know they do a they do a charity auction, and even if they don't cover their cost, all the money from the auction goes directly to the charity. So there's always something going to St. Jude's, right? Yeah. Now you spun that zombie into a different zombie movie, and this was an interesting one to watch, you know, because th- this is a trauma film, and <laughs> and and for for listeners that haven't seen a trauma film, they're 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 an acquired taste, you know. It's it's. Yeah. 
it's definite. But Toxic Avenger is one of my favorites. Yeah, my too. But pro wrestlers versus zombies. Yeah. Well, you know, that was kind of funny uh, how that came about. Um, you know, and of course, that all led back to me being a zombie on The Walking Dead. But uh, working with Pipe, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Kurt Angle, and all those guys, it was awesome, you know. Um, and, and they actually made a T-shirt of, of Hacksaw and me, and me as a zombie and him hitting me with his two-by-four, uh, which those shirts were very, very rare. I would love to have some of those for my table. Um, I could probably get the rights to the image and make T-shirts of them myself if I wanted to. That's probably something I'm going to try to see if I can get some kind of rights to, possibly. Uh, because I think that they would sell, you know, especially to the wrestling fans and people that like Hacksaw. But, um, yeah, I mean, I worked with those guys, and they were, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm one of the ringside zombies in that. And then there's, uh, and then we're trying to get in the ring, and Hacksaw and Piper and stuff, they're trying to kick in. And then, of course, the two-by-four trying to get us to not get in the ring and stuff. There's some stuff of that, and then the overhead shots of all of us, you know, around them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I did a couple signings with Hacksaw and Piper during that time. Piper, you know, of course he's passed away now, but, you know, Piper was, he, he was a, I mean, all those guys, all those wrestling guys that I've ever met or worked with, they've always been fantastic to work with. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, but, but, yeah, Piper was very, very cool, like, there was some things um, that kind of went on behind the scenes, and he took care of it for me. Um, but but yeah, I mean they they were they were cool. They, they that was a that was a that was a wild, interesting shoot. But yeah, it is. It Troma did pick that up. That originally won the Troma film. Uh, Troma did pick that up, and then they also picked up the movie called Redneck which I play Ennis Redneck, which is a musical comedy where it's about three Redneck brothers that want to become rich and famous, and we don't have perfect teeth, and we and our brother makes a pact to deal with the devil so we can have fame, fortune, and everything we've ever dreamed of. So it's a pretty silly movie, one of my, one of my favorites where I really got to play extreme crazy, but good-hearted, you know, character. And I, another one, I wore wigs and I wore uh, pink spandex pants with weird underwear over them. It said, bite me on the back of it. That crazy stuff. If you haven't seen it, it's, uh, I actually have the director's cut of it. It's actually better than the trauma version. Because the trauma version, you know, if it don't have any kind of boobs or butt or whatever in it, then it's, you know, it's, it, it's not a trauma film, you know. But. But going back to Troma, yes, me being a fan of the Toxic Avenger, I don't know if you knew this, but I was also in Toxic Tutu with the original Melvin Mark Torgel. Uh, I play Sheriff Z Walker, which goes for Zombie Walker, is what that's a reference. Once again, back to my Walking Dead stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the hunt for this toxic substance that makes supposed to make you young again, and it's green and and I uh, and I tracked down Johnny Fairplay from TV Survivor. You know, he supposedly killed his grandmother, and, you know, I'm trying to track him down. I put him in jail. I get this toxic substance. And then I end up selling it to uh, Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant. And, 
and we make a deal with I make a deal with him to get Johnny Fairplay beat up by Jake the Snake Roberts. So it it all this stuff mixes in with this with Melvin Mark Torgoy playing as himself that gets kidnapped from a convention. It all connects itself, and it's all around the convention circuit and stuff. But it has uh, some of the other Toxic Avenger cast members. Uh, uh, the Melvin's mother, the lady that played Melvin's mother, and then some of the bad guys, the main bad guys that you know that turn Toxie into what he, you know, to to, to Melvin into Toxie, pretty much. But uh, but yeah, growing up, I was always a fan of the the Toxic Crusaders, the cartoon. And then when I got older, I watched the movies. I'm like, wow, these things are much different than that cartoon. Of course, very very much more milder than the you know than the cartoon. So. Um, but it's crazy. It really is. It's, it's wild how, as a kid, you know, you watch stuff and then you see the films and it's a whole different thing, you know, whole different for a whole different audience pretty much. But yeah, out of the, out of the trauma movies, it would have to be the Toxie movies. I like all the Toxie movies. I remember when they came out and they'd be at the video store. And of course, you know, my friends and I, we, have, we, we were always getting the Toxic Avenger or, Toxic Avenger 2, you know, that kind of stuff. Because it's, we, were, we were teenagers right at the time those things were coming out, so we were the target audience. And it was just right. it was just nice fun. Yeah. And when I saw Toxic 2, too, I was like, oh, they're continuing the fun. But, right, right. Even though it's not a trauma film, it's, it's still a little, it's a little, it's a little trauma-esque, I should say, but not, not, a, not a lot. Well, sometimes a little bit of trauma goes a long way. You know, when you get, yeah, <laughs> you get a lot of, yeah. it, can, it can go different. Right. And I'm curious to see how the remake of the Toxic Avengers is going to be. I know that there's a Elijah Wood produced um, film coming out with Peter Dinklage as Toxie. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. But uh, I have high hopes for it because it is Tromask from what I hear and they didn't hold back on it. So we'll, we'll see how it is. Uh, fingers crossed. Going back to Hacksaw Jim Duggan, um, mm-hmm. I don't know when you started watching. Did you watch you watched pro wrestling when you were growing up? I did. I But, you know, I remember all those guys. But the thing about it was, as funny as, because I was in the, the attitude era. You know, I grew up in the attitude era where, you know, you had people like Sting and, and DX China and, and Scott Hall and, and, and Kevin Nash and all those people. Uh, that was kind of in Sable and, and all of them. But, you know, that's the ones that I grew up with, you know. And, of course, Hulk Hogan, you know, I'd remembered and, and Sergeant Slaughter and all of them and Piper and stuff. But, but yeah, I, I did watch a lot of the wrestling back then. Of course, wrestling back then was a lot more, I think it was a lot more realistic, better storylines than what it is now. It's way too, way toned down now. I haven't watched it. Um, anytime recently, I didn't watch the Attitude Era. I grew up with you know it was George George the Animal Steel. Right. Um, Roddy Piper was in his prime, and Andre the Giant was still wrestling. I mean, I was you had the Iron Sheik. I mean, it was you had these great storylines going through, and it was just it was just fun. And and yes, listeners, the, the results are probably set up, but they're still out there performing. That the, the the moves they're doing are real, and if they screw it up somebody can get seriously hurt or possibly killed. So, I mean, there is a lot of physicality that goes involved, goes along 
with pro wrestling. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it still is. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. But you're also in another movie with Jim Duggan. The X-Men of Henderson the County. The X-Men of County, yeah. Yeah, I was definitely Denny in that. And there's always there's a tagline in the film, which I still hear from some of my co-stars even today. Uh, so if you ever go through any of that stuff, pictures from Axman or anything, somebody comments and says, where it says, where the hell is Denny? That's a line from the film. And that kind of became like a tagline because it's kind of funny in a way, you know? And, uh, but yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it's a unique film too. I had a lot of fun working on that. And Hacksaw played our, our, our mayor of the town that comes in and, uh, you know, is just all flustered because all these different murders and stuff, these clues and stuff that's going on. And but it was it was different. It really was. Yeah, and was way different. Yeah, and then you know, we've talked about a lot of your horror films or films that you've done where you play a creature, or whatever. And there's a few more I want to get to, but you've also done a lot of movies that are I would consider more in the faith based type movie's house, you know, where, which I think is a, is a good change of pace because it has, adds that diversity to your repertoire. Right. Yes. I was in dispatched and dispatched is based on a, a book by Carl Thomas and Carl, uh, was a real life police officer, uh, that, uh, basically taught prisoners, you know, he would, he would give them Bibles in, in prison and he would teach them about Christ and, and all that. And, uh, I was very, very fortunate, uh, you know, to be a part of Carl's story. I play Billy Walters, and Billy was a 15-year-old kid that was sent to jail for many years because he stabbed his elderly neighbor. And it was supposedly the, um, yeah, the neighbor, uh, but they, he was dating um, the, one of the police officer's daughters as well during that time. So, uh, yeah, I actually got to channel and be something different, you know, than what I'm normally, than what I normally play kind of a naive, sad soul in a way, uh, kind of lost my way, you know, type of character. Um, yeah. And it was, it was a lot of fun working on dispatch, you know, Dean Kane's also the chief of police in the film as well. And, you know, um, but yeah, uh, when we, when we shot that, of course, it's uh, JC Films. You know, they do a lot of stuff in Bridgeport, West Virginia, and they also have stuff in Vegas now, uh, studio in Vegas, Arizona, Ohio, and stuff. But when we did that, um, I looked at the script, and I'm like, this is fantastic. You know, this I would love to do this. So, uh, you know, everything, you know, we always, in any kind of cop films in Bridgeport, we always use, the, we always use real cop police vehicles. Police vehicles, guns, um, which they've switched the gun part because of the rust thing with Alec Baldwin. But uh, anyway, but as far as the handcuffs and all that stuff, you know, all that stuff is real police tactics. There's stuff that they use on a daily basis, I'm sure, for real life, you know, in- incidents and stuff in the area. But, but yeah, so the... Uh, it was so funny because when we shot the scene of me getting arrested inside the house, you know, I, I put the key in my mouth to be able to unlock myself later in the film. You know, I get loose 
and on the run, but uh, ultimately wind back up in prison. And then I get out many years later and I tell my story to the board that, you know, Carl, you know, is wanting to, I, I can't remember exactly what he wants to do, but he wants a certain job. And all of us that have history, you know, with him, you know, we tell our story to the board. But, um, you know, but anyway, so back to the, back to the, um, the first day of filming, you know, we did the scene where I'm arrested and of course the police are out, you know, you got real police, Bridgeport police vehicles and they're out there on the streets and uh, the streets half blocked off because we're filming people trying to get by, you know, people next door neighbors look and see what in the world's going on. You know, and of course people some say, you know, thinking, you know, this is a real, this is a real deal here. So it was kind of funny because, it, you know, obviously it wasn't a real deal, but it was set up to be very, if you ever, if you've watched the film, uh, you'll see it's very, very realistically shot. The only thing that they don't show is me actually getting, coming out of the house arrested. They did shoot that, but I'm not for sure why that was cut down to, to what it was. But it was still, it was a lot of fun to be kind of, basically I was kind of placed in front of everybody because, I mean, people that didn't know what was going on, they really thought there was something major going down, you know. So it was kind of funny, but it was, but let me tell you, the the police tactics, the real stuff, that's, that's some rough stuff. I mean, when they when they do it, they're acting, but they're, they're spot on. When they throw you in the back of a police vehicle, they do it, you know, uh, whether they're actors or not actors. You know, I've had real police officers that I've worked with and stuff like that. Like the scene where I get loose, I shoved the officer against the, the, the concrete wall. And that was a real police officer that was driving me around in those shots. And, you know, I, and I'm, I'm the type of guy, you know, I'm like, I don't want to hurt you. You know, I don't want to shove you too hard. And he's like, and the guy was like, they kept doing it to take after take after take. And he was like, he's like, no, he's like, go full pleasure. He's like, you're not going to hurt me. He's like, I'm used to this. So in the shot where you see me really shove him, that was a full on as hardcore shove as I could get. But I, the last, the, but the first couple of times I was kind of more gentle because I didn't, I didn't know whether I needed, to, you know, wanted, you know, I didn't know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like I was very, just very careful about that. But, in the end result, it's the full shove, and he he asked what he said, go full fledged with it. He's like, that's what we're here to do. So it was uh, because you know I get out of my handcuffs on the on the way to the jail, and then that's when I shove him with my hands and run off, you know. And of course, Carl finds me later on, and of course, I end up going to jail for so many years. My trial, and they show all that stuff, and it's it's very very. Um, it's very interesting. It's very, um, it's very life affirming. So it really is. And the real life Carl Thomas is a good buddy of mine still to this day. And, and, um, he, uh, you know, he always tells me, he said, Jeremy's like, you're fantastic. You know, you really, you know, because Billy, the real Billy, you know, after all that, he went through a lot of stuff and he's no longer with us passed away so uh you know i couldn't channel him because i never met him really but but carl said i did pretty much did him to a t you know naive kind of shy nervous you know just a mess you know especially at the time when you know he got loose and they had to chase him down and all that so but i'm just glad that i could 
I could do that. You know what I'm saying? That I could really make a good performance with somebody that I, you know, I very knew very little about who I was playing other than just, you know, the basics and stuff. But uh, I actually have an article that has the real life Carl and he signed it for me. And then it also has the real life Billy's picture in there too. So that's pretty cool. And then I was also in break every chain, which I played a drunk guy, um, in a junkyard area. You know, one of my other people are shooting bullets and we're drunk. We're not listening, cooperating and we get arrested. Uh, but that is about Jonathan Hickory, uh, a Charlottesville, a real life officer in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is a good friend of mine as well. And uh, I worked with Ignacio and Sterling Morris and all of them. They were great. It was a lot of, that was a lot of fun too. Uh, I got roughed up, slammed against the car, even though that didn't make the final cut of the film. Uh, I have pictures from that where I'm getting slammed up against the car, which it was a lot of fun. I was a little sore after a couple of days of that. You know, after after a couple times of getting slammed up against the vehicles and stuff, you know, and being put on the ground and need and all that crazy stuff. But uh, but yeah, uh, that was that was that was different too. You know, I don't know much about that as how I played it uh, because it's a much smaller smaller character, but uh, still an interesting and cool scene. Now, in both those movies, did you have interaction with Dean Kane? I did not. Um, he was never there when we filmed. Now, originally he was supposed to be the one to talk me out of the house when they arrest me in dispatch. And that changed around. So I've never actually had the pleasure of meeting him. I know that he knows who I am because I know he's seen dispatch. He's seen break every chain and all that. So I'm looking forward to hopefully at some point meeting him on another one of their films. He always, he always works on, on their films. I mean, He's always doing something with uh, JC Films. Yeah, he's a busy so. man, so probably it was a filming schedule. He was busy with one day, and, he, and then he switched to who's going to do what. I mean, that's what always happens. Yeah. Now, going back to your horror roots, so to speak, you're in a remake of another movie that I like both versions of, um, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Right. Yeah, I played the gas station geezer, and that that was funny how all that came about, too, because, you know, of course, since then, you know, I made the connection with uh, lovely Don Wells that's no longer with us as well. You know, I was very, very good friends with her and stuff. We were very close and stuff, and I stayed in touch with her until she got, you know, seriously ill. But, but yeah, with that wonderful connection, and then, of course, Pamela Pierce, which is uh, Charles D. Pierce's daughter, which I've made that wonderful connection with it too, because of the, because of me being in the the remake of the town that dreaded sundown. But yeah, I played the gas station geezer, which you know, um, Addison Timlin, uh and her character, and then Veronica Cartwright that plays her grandmother Lillian. Their character uh, at the gas station, they pull into the gas station, and Addison's character. Um, comes in and gets a few snacks here and there and of course I'm the gas station geezer so I'm not impressed by anything because you know I'm a, I'm asleep and she wakes me up so I'm just like duh you know the fact that you know I mean you're you're disturbing my sleep you know so uh, so anyways it was very interesting because 
when we shot that, it was actually in Texarkana. So, you know, the real real place where the actual Phantom murders were, were took place, and of course, uh, you know, they filmed the original film there as well with Don Wells and, and Ben Johnson and Andrew Prine. But, um, but yeah, that was fun because I remember when, when I got casted for that, originally I'm also in the town hall scene, which I don't think a lot of people know, but I'm also in the town hall scene when they're talking about the Phantom and stuff where he'd be a hundred years over a hundred years old or whatever. Interestingly enough, my mom is actually in the stands in a couple of shots. She's in the shot with, uh, Dennis O'Hare that plays Charles B. Pierce Jr. She's the last one on the left-hand side in setting in that same row as him. But, uh, but yeah, so I had actually gotten cast in the town hall scene. I was supposed to be up on the panel. Well, when Alfonso Gomez-Rajon, once I got to set, he looked at me and said, you're too young looking for, for this. We're going to have to put you in the, in the, you know, in the crowd. And I'm thinking, well, this, this is not good because, you know, I drove 11, 12 hours, you know, to be in this movie and I'm not doing what I'm originally cast for. So it was kind of disheartening at the time. So when I got back home or even before I got back home, I had wrote the casting people again and said, Hey, since that didn't go the way it's planned, could you ask, Alfonso, if there may be something else featured that would be that I could do, come back and do later on. So about two weeks later, I think it's about two or three weeks later. Um, well, it was about a week later. They wrote me and said, "Well, Alfonso wants you to come back, but it's actually in Texarkana this time. He wants you to play the gas station attendant, and you're going to be shot in the head by the fan." And I'm like, "Oh heck yeah! You know, this is going to be freaking awesome because you know." It's going to be blood and the special effects and all kinds of stuff. Well, uh, you know, they hooked me up with the squib, which is a big old blood pack. It, they put it, they actually put it, you know, strapped it on my back. It's a big, long plastic box that had fake blood with a PVC pipe coming out the back. And then the button where, you know, once you got on your mark, you would hit that button and the blood would fly out. Which in the film, you know, the first shot, the first take of that was not good because, I was scared about falling back on the mat. So when I fell back, it didn't look realistic. Okay. So we had to do another take, which thankfully the blood didn't get all on the front. It was just mainly on the back. So you couldn't see anything. And they wiped it off my face and stuff. So here we are, you know, the, the stunt people, the guy that was actually playing Sackhead, the Phantom, they're like, well, we're going to rig you up, and we're going to, when you get on your mark, as soon as you hit that button, we're going to jerk you back on the mat. And I'm telling you, no no sooner that second take, no sooner than I pushed that button, they had me right on that mat. I mean, it was like an adrenaline rush. But I do remember Veronica, you know, uh, of course, Veronica Cartwright, you know, and I did I did a convention with her since then. And we did a and a at uh, Mazacon, Mike Krager's, one of Mike Krager's shows. But... Um, so I remember Veronica looking at me and said, well, make, you know, make sure he hits the mat. Like she was talking to me, but she's also talking to like production and stunts and stuff too. So she was very, very concerned. You know, of course she, you know, gets shot in the neck. So she slides down that car and it was just, my mom was across the street watching them shoot all this. And 
she said it was just amazing how well Veronica just slid down that car. And then, of course, she hits the ground because she's dead, you know. And little did I know, but when me and Veronica did the Q&A together at AmazeCon, she told me and told everybody else, which I didn't know this, that a lot of the blood, the fake blood they put around my head once I was on the ground, it was dripping over on her. So it made her even more blood soaked and sticky and icky afterwards. So I didn't know that until she told me that. But I was always a fan of hers. I hadn't met her. Interestingly enough, I hadn't met her at a convention years and years before we even worked together. You know, I didn't tell her that then, but I did tell her at Amazicon. Uh, but we, yeah, I had met her before, uh, and she's, she's always a, a wonderful, nice person, very sweet, easygoing person. You know, of course her sister's Angela, which I know pretty well too. You know, I sat beside her at Mid-Atlantic that one year, uh, when she was there for, for Lost in Space and all that. But, but yeah, being a fan, I was always a fan of Veronica's too, you know, from, uh, playing in Daniel Boone. And of course the biggest thing for me was the birds. Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds growing up. That was another, uh, once again, that was another universal film that, you know, that I was really into. Along with Psycho and some of the other Hitchcock. Oh, there's many Hitchcock films that we could go and talk about for a while, but um, right. I, I could tell when you when you said they pulled you back, because when you get shot, it is like, boom, you are like out of that, you're out of that shot in a in a heartbeat. I mean, you were right. I was like, man, they, they had to they had to pull him, or you or you just or you dove backwards somehow. But it was, no, you were you they, were thrown back. Yeah, no, they had pulled me there. I was I was roped off. I was roped on my waist, and they yeah. And of course, you don't see that once they, once they show me on the ground with the blood coming out of my head and stuff. But uh, but yeah, and, and of course the mat's gone too. You know, they, they do that in different takes. And that was actually a ladder shot, an overhead ladder shot. They got up on the tallest ladder they could, and that was the last shot of that scene that they took right before daylight. So they said, yeah, we got to get her in and get this shot before it gets to daylight. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was a big adrenaline rush. It really was. Now, moving away from zombies and, and, and killers, you've also played – a ghost in the haunting yeah. of Hill house, which I, I loved watching that, that, that series. And you were, you were in a couple episodes as the house, as one of the house ghosts. Right. Uh, you know, it was funny because I, when I got casted for that, you know, of course that goes back to walking dead where the makeup stuff, they look at your makeup and see what you look like in makeups and stuff. And yes, I was in episode one and three. I only shot one day. I could have actually, I, I don't remember what I had to do, but you know, the, the final shot where they show all the ghosts within the house and that the final episode, I could have also been in that shot too, but I was actually, I think I had a convention or something. I don't remember. I don't remember what it was, but, um, I could have been in that shot too, but the shots that I am are, you know, I'm to the right hand side of the stairs and then I'm in the hallway as well behind the, the little plant or whatever that thing there was. But Henry, I worked with Henry Thomas and all the kids and they were, they were fantastic to work with. I mean, I worked with McKenna Grace, you know, that, uh, that is now, you know, she went on to be in the movie gifted with Chris Evans, which I also worked on that as a meth addict, but they cut my scenes. 
But she was also in the new Ghostbusters Afterlife. She's Egon's granddaughter as well. But I actually got a cool picture with her. Me all ghosted up with her uh, at lunchtime that day that I worked. But, um, but yes, Henry Thomas was cool to work with. And she was awesome. All those kids, all of them were great to work with. But it was so cool to work with Elliot, you know, from, from E.T., you know, that was, that was, and he was nice. And if I would have had enough time or an ample opportunity, I would have asked him for, for a photo with, but he, uh, he, I never saw him at lunchtime. I only saw him on the set and by the set, it seemed like every time I was going to ask him, we always would shoot or we always had to do something. So that didn't, unfortunately that didn't happen, but I know that he does a lot of conventions, so I'm sure. Eventually that will happen. I'll get my picture with him in autograph. But, um, but yeah, that show for me, I, you know, only thing I knew was based on the haunting, the original film with Russ Tamblin and, and all of them, you know, I had no clue how surreal it was going to be because they made it a lot more surreal than the original film. I mean, you're dealing with suicide, you're dealing with drugs, you're dealing with all that stuff and death and all that and a lot of the stuff in the film like I, in the show I mean a lot of a lot of that I tell people if you're dealing with a lot of depression or something that's not necessarily a great show to watch when you're doing through a lot of stuff because for me I watched it and it's hard for me it was hard for me to watch and me being a part of it knowing how it's filmed still it was a lot it was just really surreal you know with the death the the uh the being made up in death and just the, the, the jumping off and being hung and the, 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 the shooting up the drugs, the, you know, that's deep stuff. That's a very hard, hard subject. Um, I had no clue what I was in for, but it is, it is a fantastic, it's a very in your face, fantastic series it really is and uh, i you know a lot of people love that i'm a ghost in the in the house and and i and i and i yeah i think it's but i think it's great but it is very it's it's very surreal it's it's definitely a very realistic show minus the ghost stuff you know what i'm saying like just the real life stuff i think that's what made the series so watchable and so enjoyable is that it had that the, the, the element of supernatural, but it also had the right. element of reality that was going along with it and how they were all screwed yeah. up from that experience in the, in the, so yeah. when it was going from the future to the past, the future in the past. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the series. One of those that you couldn't wait to watch the next episode. You know, you, it was just, you, right. you had to know what was going to go next, what was going to happen next, which, which right. is great when you're binging, you know, so you can just go right through and just be like, oh. Yeah. One other movie I wanted to ask you about, where you played a cave person. Because <laughs> some people just happen to take a wrong turn. Wrong turn. <laughs> right. Yes, it's the re-imaging of wrong, the original wrong turn, which the original wrong turn, interesting enough, you know, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it, it was made in 2003, I believe. And uh, it involves inbreded, West Virginia inbreds that are cannibals. And uh, basically, you know, it's these people take a wrong turn and they end up in this cannibal-infested hillbilly area of West Virginia, which is Greenbrier Back County is what they call it in the original, the first two or three films. And then they eventually got it right and they call it Greenbrier County, West Virginia. 
which interestingly enough, that's actually where I live in White Sulphur Springs. It is Greenbrier County. So all the stuff supposed to take place in Greenbrier County, in the backwoods of Greenbrier County, should I say. But it was very interesting because the remake that I'm in of Wrong Turn is way different than the original films. The new ones involve a bunch of people called the Foundation, and they wear like deer masks and stuff like that. Uh, same kind of instances other than the cannibalism, because there's no cannibalism other than when me and my friend Jenny Malone, the other fellow cave person, we eat on Damien Lafay's character Morgan when he gets shot by the one, the only Matthew Modine from Full Metal Jacket, Vision Quest, and of course, Stranger Things. So, uh, but anyways, yeah, it's basically about the foundation and they, these kids take a wrong turn and they're on the Appalachian Trail, which this one takes place in Virginia on the Appalachian Trail. And uh, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people get get killed in many different ways by the foundation and unfortunately well i guess you could say unfortunately for my character but fortunately you know i was blessed to play one of the cave people that have my eyes and mouth sewed up and burned my eyes burned out in the in the cave so uh, a lot of fun working with uh, charlotte vega and uh matthew modine and i've actually got to know Matthew Modine pretty well. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff, if I Twitter him, he Twitters, likes it, or he'll Twitter, like, repost. Like, I did an interview, and I mentioned him in it for Wrong Turn, and he reposted the interview on his Twitter, which I thought was really, really cool. And originally, I didn't know this until I talked to him on the set. He actually took a picture of me, and I actually have it in my album for sale. But it says, My Project's the Foundation. And he actually took a picture of me and my makeup and put it on his Instagram. It was actually on his Instagram page. So I thought that was really, that was really cool. And he told me, he's like, you know, you're on my Instagram. I'm like, no, I didn't, I didn't know that. I had no clue. So, and then a couple of months after we shot Wrong Turn, I saw him at the Alamo Draft House. They were doing a Modine Fest at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia. And I went and he did, you know, he did Q&A and signings and stuff for the many different films that they showed of his and it was really cool because um film club um was and psycho cinema clubs there they were supporting all that and brought him in and uh andy a film club there at winchester's alamo told him that i was going to be there and he saw me in line and he he looked over and said hey and said he said jeremy where's your face because he had never (laughs) never seen me makeup before so that was actually pretty cool. You know, that was actually pretty cool. And I had him sign a bunch of pictures of me and him from Wrong Turn and a few other things from from his other film and career stuff like Stranger Things and stuff like that. So, yeah, pretty cool. Vision Quest. Now, you're working on a few things. I don't know if you can talk about it. I know on your IMDb page, it has some things that are in post-production or in filming. Anything you could talk about that's coming out? Boxer versus wrestler. I play the boxing man, uh, the wrestling manager, Vincent Hurd, which is, I'm a cigar chomping, smoking uh, manager uh, in that, which is an indie film. It's actually going to be on DVD, uh, quite frankly, probably within the next month or two. So that's going to be something. I know that is actually on, the whole film is actually on YouTube. So if you want to check it out, you can go, it's like an hour and 20 some minute movie. Uh, it's a lot of wrestling, pretty much. 
but there is some acting in different scenes while the acting, of course, acting with me, different things. Um, nice little part for me. I'm, uh, yeah, it's, I'm all about the cigar. Uh, my character is pretty much business, 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 cigar, cigar, cigar. Uh, yeah, very kind of hard nosed, kind of a kind of funny in a way. Uh, boxy, I mean wrestling manager. So, but that's one. And then I worked on a, another indie film called Zero, and it's uh, Wesley Springler um, directed that. He's from Nashville. And I worked on that up in Martinsburg, West Virginia. But I, um, I actually have a scene where I, uh, where these girls think I'm a cosplayer, zombie cosplayer, and I attack both of both of them. And then the other zombies come. We we pretty much have them as food. But I attack one of the girls and uh, played by Catherine Andrea, and she actually, believe it or not, she was a walker and the last season of Walking Dead, which her episode will be on in October. So uh, I actually got to, to bite her in the neck. And uh, we actually went full-fledged with the blood, fake blood. I gurgled it, and it's pretty gnarly. There's some pictures on my Facebook page from that. But I had it dripping all the way down my chin and neck and all that stuff. But uh, interesting little scene, and I know that Wesley... Uh, he liked me so much. He wants me to come back for for the sequel and a bigger part. I think I'm actually going to be one of the people, one of the actual survivors uh, in the sequel that's actually going to be fighting and killing zombies this time. So that's going to be interesting. If that if that is indeed what I'm going to be playing, that that'll definitely be pr- pretty cool. Pretty pretty uh, uh, definitely a a big difference from being a zombie. You're switching sides. Oh no! I mean, this, this you're, you're gonna lose your mojo. <laughs> so yeah, so that's pretty much what I've got on the radar now. I've had a few auditions here and there uh, for some stuff, but you know those things are never guaranteed, really. So you never know; it may happen, it may not. But if it if it does happen, then uh, we'll definitely we'll definitely have some more to talk about as far as that stuff goes. That's true, and. Listeners that want to see you, again, September 15th for the 17th, you're going to be at Hunt Valley, Maryland for the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgic Convention. You know, so yeah. you can come there and meet you at your table and talk to you about all these different films that we talked about, plus the ones that are coming out or, or we didn't discuss, because you got a lot more credits that we didn't even go over. Right. Lots more. Lots and lots more. But, yeah, I'll be there, and I'll have, you know, I always have different T-shirts and, and all kinds of few, you know, all, all my pictures pretty much stay the same. Um, but as far as the different stuff like shirts and uh, different Walking Dead stuff, and then I'll probably have some dispatched and some different things like that too. Uh, may even have some boxer versus wrestler by then. You just never know. It just all depends on uh, how they're getting pressed and all that stuff. But but yes, so. It's it's always great to see everybody there, and even the people that come back and constantly buy stuff from me. You know, that's that's one of my biggest sources of income is when the fans come and buy something. So, you know, and I love I love talking, I love interacting with everybody, and of course, always meeting new people, new other fellow actors and stuff, and making friend a friendship out of that too. So yes, so yes, definitely come out and see me there, and uh, of course those. Uh, 
eventually I'm going to have all the dates and stuff, but pretty much September and October, I'm fully booked on about every weekend. And there we go. And um, where can people follow you if they want to learn more about, you know, what's coming up for you? What social media do you use? I have a fan page, uh, Jeremy TWD Ambler, uh, that they can, they can like my fan page. And they can also friend request me, uh, Jeremy Ambler on Facebook. And that's where I mainly post the, the most stuff. Sometimes, uh, you know, um, things get put on Instagram as well, my Instagram as well. Awesome. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you again in just, like I said, a couple of weeks. You know, we'll be, we'll be having fun and I could see Beverly Washburn again. And all Right, yes, Beverly. Yes, I stay in touch with Beverly about every day. We text a lot, so about every day. And she's she's fantastic as always, and she's had a great career and a very fascinating one as well, you know, with uh, with all her work and film, you know, the people, Lon Chaney Jr., Sid Haig, uh, Lou Costello, all those people that she worked with, Bess Parker, I mean, it's just amazing. It really is. Well, she, she's wonderful. And um, listeners, there, I did an interview of her back in January of this year that, that came out. It came out in January of this year. So you can go back and listen to that. And uh, uh, she, if you get a chance to meet her or Jeremy and a lot of other people are going to be there. They're, they're wonderful to talk with. And, and, you know, don't be shy. Just come up and ask different questions and stuff like that. And uh, you'll, you'll be surprised, you know, what conversations will lead and um, friendships that could develop. Exactly. Exactly. But Jeremy, I want to thank you for taking, you know, a little more than an hour talking about your stuff that you've been doing and upcoming. And again, we're going to see each other soon. Of course, buddy. You're very welcome. I hope everybody enjoyed that interview with Jeremy. And again, he'll be at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention the 15th for the 17th of September of this year, 2022. And um, next episode will be Laura Cayouette, who you might remember from playing Leonardo DiCaprio's sister in Django Unchained, besides many other things. So you're going to learn a lot more about her in the next episode. And, of course, you can meet her at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention. If you have any feedback you want to leave the show, please feel free to email us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page. I hope everybody has a great day, and I hope everybody has a fun time. And I'm going to let us go out to the little promo from Hammerama, which is a show I do with Alistair Hughes, where we talk about Hammer movies. And I hope everybody's been enjoying that also. So let you hear the promo for that. And otherwise, everybody have a great day. Thanks. Bye. I'm Al from New Zealand. And I'm Stephen from Maryland, USA. We are Hammerama. Welcome to our new podcast, Enter Freely. And of your own will. Part of the multi-award-nominated Diecast Movie Podcast, Hammerama is a wide look at the world of Hammer Horror from either side of the globe. Each month, we will throw a die to decide which category from the film vault of Hammer we are going to discuss. The Dracula, Frankenstein, or Mummy Cycles, science fiction, prehistory, or the experimental 1970s. We will cast our international eyes across, then and now, reviews of the movie. Its place in the Hammerverse. Our encounters with the stars. A film poster critique. And unusual associated merchandise. So join us for our bite-sized discussion of Hammer's gory glories, stitched together from both ends 
of the Earth. Hammerama is a proud part of the Diecast Movie Podcast.